New York Rangers fans, and welcome to episode 138 of the New Ice City podcast. I'm your host, Vincent Mercogliano of the USA Today Network, and I will start by saying happy Valentine's Day to all who celebrate. I am recording this on Wednesday, February 14th, so whether you're going out with somebody, whether you're hanging at home, whatever, I I know for some people this is kind of not a big deal holiday. Honestly, I don't traditionally make a huge deal out of it myself, but I am a little excited because It has been years since my wife and I have been able to go out by ourselves and really enjoy a Valentine's Day, but my brother and his wife are going out a different night this week and volunteered to take my son, so we actually have reservations at a restaurant. The Rangers are not playing tonight, so I am looking forward to getting a nice meal and spending a little quality time with my wife, which again, I don't think we've done since pre-COVID between obviously COVID restrictions and having a young son. So looking forward to that. But first, we got to talk some hockey. And there's quite a bit for us to get to this week, as there usually is at this time of year. First of all, the stadium series is coming. The Rangers will be playing at MetLife Stadium Sunday, 3 o'clock, against the Islanders. The day before that, the Devils and the Flyers will play. So some excitement around that for sure. The players are definitely looking forward to it from what I can sense in the locker room. A lot of these guys have not played big outdoor games, whether it's NHL or even some lower levels. A lot of these guys obviously grew up skating outside, especially the guys from the northern part of You know, whether it's Canada or talking to Keandre Miller, for example, today about growing up in Minnesota, talking to Capo Caco about growing up in Finland. So it's not like these guys aren't used to skating outside, but it's not something they get to do at such a high level. So there's some excitement from that standpoint among the players and some excitement from the fans who will get to experience a pretty cool event and some cold weather. It looks like it's going to be chilly. We had some recent weeks where the temperatures kind of came up. Now we've got some snow on the ground. The temperatures are dropping again, so that might not make quite as an enjoyable of an experience for some of the people in the stands, but I think it adds to the atmosphere a little bit for sure. I will be keeping nice and warm, I'm pretty sure, in the press box. But either way, that is coming, and to help us look ahead to that and preview that and get a little inside look into the Rangers' opponent, we are going to have Ethan Sears who covers the Islanders for the New York Post on this week's show. So we'll be talking to Ethan in just a little bit. And there's a lot of stuff I wanted to pick his brain about because the Islanders, as I'm sure many of you are well aware of, have become suddenly one of the most interesting teams in the league by firing their coach, Lane Lambert, last month and hiring Patrick Waugh, who is like a lightning rod, whether you think highly of him or you have criticisms of him, an intense personality, a legendary player, a Hall of Fame goalie. So a lot to unpack there with these Islanders who are currently out of playoff position, but within striking distance and trying to make another run at it, even with some of the questions I think surrounding their core and whether or not they need to retool. So we'll talk to Ethan about all of that and preview this weekend's matchup with the Rangers and Islanders. But first, let's talk about what is going on with the team in this moment. And I just got back from practice a little while ago. The Rangers were skating with only 11 forwards 
for a couple of reasons. Number one, Chris Kreider took a personal day, but it sounds like he's not in jeopardy for missing Thursday's game or anything like that. At least as far as I can tell, I would be very surprised if that happens. But then another reason the Rangers only had 11 forwards at practice is because the news on the off day, the snow day on Tuesday, is that the Rangers have decided to waive veteran forward Tyler Pitlick. So this tells me a few things, but first and foremost, what this tells me is that the Rangers fully intend on giving Adam Edstrom a kind of under the radar prospect for them. Someone who we got a look at for one game in December had a very good game against the Anaheim Ducks in what was a win for the Rangers, I believe on December 15th, scored a goal at the end of that game. And I know has impressed people with his play at Hartford. He's been scoring some goals. He's also been a big physical presence who, by all accounts, skates well, moves well, defensively sound player, a penalty killer. There's a lot of elements to his game that I think have grown on the Rangers and are thought pretty highly of in the Rangers organization. And I believe the first time he was called up, I mentioned this to you guys, but over the summer, when I was working on our annual prospect rankings, I had a couple scouts mention his name as somebody who would be on the fringe of that top 10. One in particular who advocated for me to put Edstrom in the top 10. I would say my feeling by the end of that process was that he was somewhere in that 11, 12, 13 mix. But clearly this is a guy who I think increasingly there are people around the league believe that he has a chance to be a guy who can contribute on a fourth line in that type of a role. Seeing him move further up in the lineup, I think, would surprise a lot of people. But I think he's made enough progress, and I think he brings enough different sort of skills and elements to the table that make people believe that he will eventually be a guy who can be an impact player on the fourth line. And certainly, he's an imposing figure Depends where you look. Some places have them listed as low as six foot six. I know the AHL website, which is what I used for my story, has him at six foot eight. Regardless, the guy is massive. He's he's really, really big. And it looks like the Rangers want to give him a look. They called him up over the weekend and he got to play again in that game on Monday, the two to nothing win over the Calgary Flames. And it was kind of interesting timing because he got injured right around Christmas, and missed close to six weeks. He came back for just one game, played for Hartford on Saturday, and then the very next day, the Rangers decided to recall them. And in talking to Peter LaViolette, it sounds like this is a guy who made a good impression on him in camp, who he really liked what he saw out of in that one game that he played in December. And I think the Rangers, had he not gotten injured, and LaViolette pretty much admitted this, would have wanted to maybe get him up here even a little bit sooner. And now with the trade deadline coming up or less than a month away from that March 8th deadline, the Rangers are in information gathering mode. And this is a guy who they are at least curious about and want to see, can he be a contributor? Can he maybe seize a spot on that fourth line and fill a role for them there. And I think these next couple of weeks, it sounds like they want to give him an extended look. They want to see if he can grab a hold of that opportunity. And one way or another, he is being put in a position where he has a chance to stick around for a little while this season. I still believe the Rangers are going to add players. In fact, if anything, 
waving Tyler Pitlick, I think, reinforces that opinion because right now the Rangers only have 12 forwards on the roster. There's no obvious candidate for them from Hartford to call up to be the 13th forward. I'm not saying I think this means a deal is necessarily happening today, but I think at some point in the next couple of weeks, they do obviously plan on adding at least one forward, maybe two to this roster, whether that means center, right wing, you could pick whichever line it ends up being on. That is all still up in the air, but clearly the Rangers being willing to sacrifice depth in the way that they did by waving Pitlick, who might end up being assigned to Hartford. We still have to wait and see, but the Rangers deciding that they could at least take the risk of losing this depth piece shows me that A, they want to give Edstrom a look here for sure, and B, they are expecting to bring in some reinforcements and add some depth via trade. So Pitlick, a little bit surprising, probably more surprising for me than the Benino thing, to be honest with you, when they waved Benino a few weeks ago. Just more so from the sense that he wasn't really blocking anybody. You could have, in theory, kept him on the roster as the 13th forward and still been able to put Edstrom on the roster because the Rangers cap situation, there's not a whole lot of maneuverability there. We know what it's going to be because of the Philip Heedle LTIR situation. They're probably going to have, as we've said multiple times now, $5 million or so to spend at the trade deadline. So I don't really see this being a cap move. I see this just being a sense of, Chris Drury not really getting too sentimental about these roster decisions. I think it's been pretty clear that Benino and now Pitlick were not going to be in this lineup after the trade deadline. And the Rangers have made these kind of cutthroat decisions to not get sentimental about it and just cut bait with these guys now. You can look at their signings in the summer and say, oh man, those really didn't work out. But Let's not forget, these were incredibly low-risk signings. These were guys that were signing for close to the veterans' minimum. So it didn't really hurt the Rangers in any way to take a chance on them. And by just waving them now, it, it certainly doesn't have any ripple effects or salary cap implications that are going to hurt them moving forward. So I think in both cases, they were guys that were kind of risks worth taking. And I will also say this about Pitlick, that I do think there were some stretches there where he was fairly effective. I'm not going to say overly effective, but fairly effective in that fourth line checking spot. But again, I think the Rangers are showing that they have some depth pieces here with Hartford that they're comfortable in turning to with Edstrom, I think emerging as the guy who they are most interested to see if he can play in that fourth line checking role, because he has the skill set that I think translates to that type of role. And he also brings some elements with the size and the mobility that maybe the Rangers felt like they wanted to add a little bit more of into the lineup. And I will also say this, that it has me thinking now to the future a little bit because Benito and Pitlick were brought in to play bottom six roles, never really quite took off in that role. And the Rangers now cut bait with them. You look at the analytics and those Two guys in particular rank as two of the worst forwards on the roster. There's actually three forwards that have kind of dropped below the pack when you look at expected goal rate, when you look at Corsi, when you look at shot share, when you look at pretty much any of those metrics that we tend to judge these players by these days. And the third guy is Barclay Gaudreau. Now, I am not suggesting that they're going to waive Barclay Gaudreau. And there are certainly, I think, intangibles that get overlooked a lot of times by your average fan, whether it's 
the way that he leads and interacts in the locker room, whether it's the toughness element that he brings to the locker room. I think that there are things that every coach seems to love about this guy that aren't necessarily going to show up in analytics. And I certainly view him as a more valuable player than either Benino or Pitlick, especially when you consider his positional versatility, that he can play all three forward spots. So by no means am I suggesting that the Rangers are going to waive this guy. But I do wonder, you look at these analytics, he is right down there at the bottom. There's basically three forwards that are below by substantial margins, everybody else. And that would be Benino, Pitlick, and Goudreau. And actually, Pitlick grades out a little bit better than him if you look at expected goal rate and you look at Corsi. So those are their three worst analytical players. And if you're making these tough decisions, you know, at some point, do you have a conversation about Goudreau? I, I absolutely envision him being in this lineup for the rest of the year. I'm not making a prediction by any stretch that they're going to pull him out of the lineup and definitely not going to waive him. But just to be fair, if we're going to come down on Benino and Pitlick and point to the fact that their underlying numbers don't look great, Goudreau is right there kind of in that same boat with them right now. Again, I'll repeat, there are intangibles that I believe don't show up in analytics that make him a valuable player for the Rangers, whether you're talking on the ice, whether you're talking in the locker room, whether you're talking from an experience, leadership, toughness standpoint for sure. He's well-respected by his teammates, a two-time cup winner. You guys know all this stuff about him. But that was just kind of my final thought on this decision to waive Pitlick, is that the Rangers have three guys that have fallen behind the pack when you look at their underlying numbers. Two of them now they've cut bait with. So Goudreau's kind of the third guy hanging around that I think certainly you'd like to see a little bit more out of him. His offensive production is way down this season, and that's not ultimately what he's going to be judged by. But if you're not contributing any points, really, then at the very least, you'd like to see yourself being a little bit more positive in some of those possession rates and some of those shot rates and things of that nature. I know that they get tough assignments. I know that they're up against the other team's top line, so I'm not expecting them to be over 50% in a lot of these categories. But you look at a player like Jimmy Vesey, for example, and Jimmy Vesey, you look at his expected goal rate, it's about 46 and a half. I think that is, is pretty solid in that type of a role. Meanwhile, you've got Goudreau, who's down under 40%. So just kind of my final thought on that. But again, I think that this more so than anything speaks to jury making some difficult decisions without showing too much hesitation here or holding on to these guys for too long. The Rangers definitely like Edstrom and want to give him a hard look before the trade deadline. And I also think there's a couple other guys hovering in that Hartford mix, whether it's a Brennan Othman, whether it's a Brett Berard, whether it's a Matt Rempe, who they're a little bit intrigued by as well. But I, I think Edstrom definitely, because of the type of role that they're looking to fill, probably has the best chance of sticking for any length of time this season. And then the final point is, again, Something's happening here. They're going to make a trade. There will be more forwards added to this roster at some point before March 8th. So with all of that being said, let's get to these last couple games that have occurred since we last spoke on the podcast because the Rangers, oh, by the way, are in the midst of a five-game winning streak. Now, the win on Friday night in Chicago was shaky, to say the very least. They... Had a lead in that game. They seemed to kind of sit back, definitely get outplayed for stretches by, by all measures, 
the worst team in the NHL when you consider, first off, their record. They have the worst record in the NHL. But the Blackhawks have also been ravaged by injuries. Don't have Connor Bedard right now, the number one overall pick in the draft, and their leading scorer among other guys that have been or were expected to be regulars in their lineup. So this is a bottom-of-the-barrel team. And the Rangers in the third period just seemed to think that they were going to skate by and skirt their way out of there with a win without having to try all that hard. And they got burned. They ended up giving two goals up in the final seven minutes or so of the third period, which forces overtime. Definitely an ugly win, but they do escape Chicago with the two points there. And then they responded pretty well to that game They've really, I think, of these last five wins, played pretty well in four of those games. And another one of those examples came on Monday night with that 2 to nothing shutout over the Flames. And, of course, the biggest thing, the biggest takeaway to come out of that game was Igor Shosturkin once again looking like Igor Shosturkin. You could argue that was his best game of the year, his first and only shutout of the season, 34 appearances into it. So that on its own stands out to you for sure. But then you think of the circumstances, you think of the pressure that was probably starting to feel on this guy's shoulders, considering the struggles that he had for really about half of the season or so now, where his numbers were at coming into that game. The fact that the Rangers gave him two weeks off to reset which we talked about last week was the most that they've or the closest they've come to publicly acknowledging that this guy hasn't been right, that there's something a little off here. So all of that adds up to a pretty pressurized environment for this guy, a a point where you feel like he's got to turn it around soon or these doubts, these concerns, these questions are only going to get turned up especially with Jonathan Quick playing as well as he has recently. And Igor came out early on, even though he only saw six shots in the first period against Calgary. A couple of those were pretty dangerous, and he just looked fully calm, fully in control. Laviolette talked about this after the game. It just seemed like he was ahead of the play. He was in the right position all the time that night. And As the game goes on, the Rangers played an outstanding first period, I thought, in that game. But it's still scoreless because Jacob Markstrom on the other side for Calgary was also really, really good. So the Rangers completely tilted the ice in their favor in that first period. I think it was nine high-danger scoring chances they had in the first period alone, and yet they come out of it scoreless. So again, that pressure is on Igor to, to keep them in it. Don't give up that first goal because that's been definitely one of the issues with him is that a lot of times with him in goal... The Rangers have been falling behind early and then having to chase it. Well, Igor stood on his head in the second period when Calgary came with with a really strong push. I believe he had 13 or 12 saves in that second period. And again, some really high danger ones there. And a big sequence for me was right after the Rangers do finally take the lead in that game, when Will Cooley cleans up that rebound off that Capo Caco drive to the net, The Rangers then get that 1-0 lead. You know Markstrom's playing really well on the other side. And right away, Calgary gets a power play. And Calgary had a couple grade-A chances on that power play. And Igor stood tall on both of them. Ends up finishing with a 30-save shutout. Again, his first shutout of the year. And he was playing it pretty cool in the locker room. I wrote about this the other night. He wasn't doing any cartwheels or celebrating or openly, you know, got this big smile on his face or anything like that. But he admitted this was important to him. And 
I think that the feeling in the locker room was that everybody was really, really happy for him. Everybody really felt like he needed this to start to feel good about himself again, to start to get that confidence back. Because we've talked about, in some ways, this stretch where he struggled has felt more mental than physical. Now, the physical, technical side of it was on point in that win on Monday. And that's a very encouraging sign. But even more so, this is a guy who said he used the all-star break. He used that time off when he was getting extra work with goalie coach Benoit Allaire to stop overthinking things, stop beating himself up so much, get back to the basics, and just start trying to have fun again. And it seemed like he was having fun again in that Monday night win. You even saw it at the end of the game where the Igor that we are used to seeing is the Igor who confidently when the other team has an empty net at the end of the game, is going to be flinging pucks the full length of the ice trying to get that open net goal, which we we definitely feel at some point he's going to get. And we saw him trying for that again on Monday. So it's only one game. You got to see him build on it to start really feeling good again about where he's at. But we've talked about this being probably the most important thing for the Rangers in these next couple months. The number one priority for them is getting him on track because he is, above all else, the number one key to what I believe if they're going to have a playoff run, they're going to need him. So this is certainly something to feel good about, certainly something that you hope he can build on. Meanwhile, that third line continues to roll, that Kako, Cooley, Brodzinski line They've been really, really good recently. You could argue at five on five, they've been the Rangers' best line. They score the only even strength goal of that game against Calgary. All three of them contribute on that goal. Brazinski gets the takeaway at the defensive blue line, makes a quick decision, a, a nice pass to spring Kako and Cooley for a two-on-one rush. Kako, I thought, really played that well, and he talked about it after the game and I actually spoke with him again at his locker after practice on Wednesday, going to have a story coming about that one because we talked a little bit about some of these trade rumors that are circulating right now with his name in them and how he's handling that. But what you saw him do in that situation was make a confident play where the defenseman who was trying to defend that two-on-one was clearly trying to take away the passing lane. And so Kako makes a hard drive to the net, gets a shot off, creates a rebound opportunity, and Will Cooley does what Will Cooley has done for the Rangers pretty much all season And that's get into those hard areas and clean up that rebound and give the Rangers the the goal. And that line has scored goals pretty much, I think, four of the last five games or something like that. I know Brodzinski has five points in his last five games. He's really starting to make you feel like he's a guy that is vying for a post-trade deadline position in this lineup one way or another. And I asked LaViolette about it after practice today. Is this line starting to make you feel like, okay, we we got to find ways to give them more ice time? Because you look at the other night, most of those guys are still around 11 minutes per game, something like that. And LaViolette said, yes, they have definitely earned more ice time. But he also kind of acknowledged what we already know, that there's a certain cap to that as well, because most of those guys don't really play on special teams. I mean, Kako's on the second power play unit, but they see very little ice time. And... He's obviously going to lean on the top six more. Those guys are certainly going to get more minutes. And he noted that that checking line, which is now Goudreau, VC, and Edstrom, they're going to get a lot of the tough defensive assignments. So that is somewhat going to limit how much you can use that third line. But I certainly think he's got to pick at least a few more shifts to get them per game if they continue to play that way. And he said that that is certainly what he is going to try to do because he's mentioned them a few times now as a line that, that he's really liked 
what he's seeing from. So that line has been a positive on top of the obvious Igor positive to come out of Monday night. The last thing that I'll touch on a little bit here, because this is a topic of conversation after practice, is the power play, which really, really continues to struggle. They go 0 for 3 again on Monday night. Now 4 for their last 37 and I think it's 0 for 16 or 0 for 17 in their last seven games. So the power play is in by far its worst, really its only slump of the season. And we saw at practice on Sunday that LaViolette was experimenting a little bit and changing things up and kind of going with more of a balanced approach where you saw him keep his top six lines together, which is to say Kreider, Zabanajad, and Wheeler on one power play unit with Panarin, Trocek, and Lafreniere on the other. And then he sort of fit in pieces around those guys. Definitely had more of an even distribution kind of a feel to it, but it didn't last long at all. They basically got one power play in that game against Calgary. Now, granted, neither unit looked good on that one power play, but by the final power play of the game, he was back to that PP1 that we've been so used to seeing all season and that has a really strong track record of success with Fox, Kreider, Zabanajad, Panarin, and Trocek. And I asked him about this after practice, and he basically said this. Obviously, we haven't been good recently. Obviously, I felt like we needed to, at least for a game, try something a little different just to try to shake things up. But ultimately, it sounds like he always is going to want to get back to that standard power play unit that we've seen that ranked number one in the league for a large portion early on in the season. And it sounds like no matter what, even if he goes for a game or two where he tries something a little bit different, that by the time we really get down to it, by the time the playoffs come around, he fully intends to have that that normal unit back together. And he had them back together for Wednesday's practice. So basically we saw something different for one power play and now they're back to how they started. But that is the next thing that you really want to see the Rangers unlock. They've won five in a row without that power play getting any goals. Now, if the goaltending is getting better with Quick staying hot and Igor getting himself back on track, the defense has tightened up recently and you're starting to get a little bit more out of your bottom six, particularly that Brodzinski line. The, the, the next step for the Rangers, the next thing that's kind of hit a valley right now for them is that power play. So that's something to keep an eye on coming up in the next few games. With that, let's move on to our interview from this week. And let's hear from Ethan Sears and talk about the Islanders, who, again, I find them to be a fascinating team right now. So I'm looking forward to this one. Here's Ethan. Now let's shift gears and start looking ahead to this weekend's stadium series where the Rangers will be playing the Islanders at MetLife Stadium three o'clock on Sunday. And to help us do that, Let's welcome into the show Ethan Sears, who covers the Islanders for the New York Post. So, Ethan, how are you and how is life with Patrick Waugh? I'm doing great, Vince. Thanks so much for having me. And uh, life with Patrick Waugh, is, uh, it's, it's gotten pretty interesting over these last few weeks. I'll put it that way. Yeah, I, you know, I wrote this yesterday when we were previewing the series, and it's just like it felt like the Islanders were 
kind of stagnant, I, you know, dare I say boring, a lot of the same core pieces there. Lane Lambert obviously wasn't the most colorful quote as a coach to cover, I'm sure, from your end. And then all of a sudden they become one of the most interesting teams in the league. So I'm sure from your perspective, that's been kind of fun to witness. And I know it's created a lot of excitement, not only in Long Island, but it seems like all over the place. So that has been quite the change for you, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. I mean, the first, you know, the, the first two or three days with Wa, I mean, there were probably eight to ten French language reporters who made the trip down from Quebec. Um, they go to Montreal, and he's obviously a huge deal up there. And I mean, right away, the difference in just attention being paid to this team is is massive. And I mean, you, you see a difference, you know, in the way they're playing on the ice and the, and the way they're talking in the room and then things like that as well. It's, it's been, it's, it's been very, very noticeable. So, I mean, how much, I think they're three, three and two since he got mm-hmm. here. So it's not like they're winning a ton. There's been this initial obvious difference as far as that's concerned, but what are you noticing just as far as the difference in, in his approach as a coach and how the team is responding to him? Yeah. You know, I mean, he's he has them playing a much more offense-oriented game. Um, you know, un, under Lambert, it was kind of similar to how they played with Barry Trotz, right? It was uh, defense first. You know, Lane was maybe a little bit more offensive than, than Barry was, but it was marginal probably at best. And, and really, the reason they made the playoffs last year was because he probably pulled back on that a little. And, you know, Wa has talked about, he thinks that kind of the best way that they can hold a lead is by holding the puck and by, you know, continuing to, to press, continuing to, uh, to be in the offensive zone. He wants them to play a possession oriented game. He wants them to cycle. Um, all of that is stuff that the Islanders have really struggled with all year. Um, and has, has been kind of a, or was a problem area for them under lane. And, you know, even though the results, really haven't been there quite yet you're seeing a big difference in just the five on five numbers the expected goals uh you know things like that are looking much better for them so you know whether that starts translating into wins in time for them to you know put a playoff run together is probably a bit of a question but at least the underlying signs are are probably starting to be there the standard feels much higher than it was a month ago. So, you know, on that end, it, it's certainly been a positive impact. My question would be, do they have the personnel to do that? Because if you think about even those teams that they had in 2020, 2021, that had all that success, those teams felt like they grinded you down. They felt like they were so tight defensively. Obviously the goaltending with Sorokin is really good. So it feels like that is the strength of this team. And it, it feels like the question mark for them or the weakness for them has been scoring, has been being able to push it offensively. So do they have the personnel to make that switch that he's looking for them to make? Yeah. Well, I mean, they do have high, a few high end offensive guys, right? You know, Barzal is a point per game player this year. Noah Dobson's taken a huge step and, and been a point per game player this year. You know, Bo Horvat and Brock Nelson are, are both going to end up scoring 30 goals unless they get hurt. So, you know, I do think that there's been a little bit of a shift in, in the way that this team wins games as far as defensively is that's really where the questions have been this season. You know, their penalty kill is dead last in the league. Uh, Ilya Sorokin has faced more shots than any other goaltender in the league. Uh, they're toward the bottom in 
high danger chances allowed. And, and part of that is injury related. They've had a lot of, of injuries on the back end. And this is really the first time since uh, I think early to mid November that they've had all six of their defensemen healthy. Um, but part of it is also just, they've lost some of that, you know, that structure, uh, that sort of grindiness or whatever word you want to use that, that maybe that maybe was such a strength for them, you know, three, four seasons ago. What about why from a personality standpoint? Cause I think that fascinates a lot of people. I think it's eight years now since he left Colorado and the fallout from that was kind of messy. It seemed like for all this time afterwards, everybody was reluctant to give him another chance for whatever reasons. Mm-hmm. And we know he's a, he's a big personality, obviously a legendary player, a hall of fame goalie. What has he been like to deal with from that perspective of just kind of being this big name, being this, this sort of celebrity in the hockey world and, and the personality and all that that comes with it? Yeah. I mean, as far as interacting with us, he's been, he's been pretty engaging. I mean, he really doesn't shy away from, from telling you what he thinks. You know, you look at, you know, last night they, they lost a two, one shootout game to to Seattle where they, they really were pretty lucky to get a point. They, they got outplayed. Uh, they didn't possess the puck very much. They had a lot of long stretches where they're hemmed in their zone. And, you know, you have Patrick Watt, you know, coming in the press conference and saying, I don't think anybody in the dressing room can be happy with that. We played offense for both teams tonight. We turned the puck over. Um, you know, he, the fans were pissed. I was pissed too. Um, so, you know, he really, he, I mean, he doesn't shy away from, he, he's not trying to, you know, put a silver lining on things when it, when it shouldn't be there. Um, as far as you mentioned the kind of the way he left Colorado, I do think that that led to a lot of, uh, self-reflection for him you know i i went up to quebec city during the all-star break and and kind of talked to some people there where you know he's coached the junior team he's been heavily involved there and kind of the, the message i got from that was that he really looked at himself and he looked at the way that he communicates with people communicates with players obviously the way he communicated that exit right before training camp that kind of you know led to him maybe being a little uh, persona non grata for a number of years and and made changes to it and really just tried to stress um, not not being so much of uh, of an intense person which, which is not to say he's not intense he's he's very intense he's very passionate you know he still probably has a little bit of, of the arrogance and, and ego or whatever that got him to where he is but I think he's probably dialed it back we'll say five to 10%, you know, over the last eight years. And, and that has made probably a pretty big difference for, for people who have seen him every day. It's going to be really interesting to see how, how this plays out because again, the Islanders, at least to me, and I'm very curious for your perspective on this felt like a team who was starting to look down the reality of at some point, are you going to need to disassemble this core and start building toward the future? I don't believe they have a whole lot in the pop uh, pipeline. Like if you look at a lot of prospect rankings, it's not like they seem to have a whole lot of surefire guys on the way. So they could certainly use some retooling there, some future assets, some young prospects, things like that. So I, I've been wondering, are they going to reach the point where they're like, all right, you know, this group did some good things, obviously wasn't championship caliber, and now it's time to to regroup and, and look toward the future. But obviously with this hiring 
And I think with just Lou Lamorello, the, the way that he seems to operate is they're still clearly trying to go for it. I think they're three points or four points out of a wild card spot right now. So it's not like they're not within striking distance, but they've got some work to do. So what do you see for this team in the coming weeks? And what do you see from this core? I think a lot of these guys are now in their thirties. A lot of these guys are maybe getting toward the back end of their prime or past their prime. So like, what do you, what do you see for this Islanders core right now and, and their prospects for the rest of the season? Yeah. I mean, as, as far as, you know, the trade deadline that's, that's coming in a few weeks, you know, they're not they're not going to sell that's not their mo under under lou he wants them to be competing you know that's it's just not really the way he does things um as so you know i think i think it will probably be a relatively quiet deadline for them if you look at kind of their cap situation there's not really much they can do you know maybe you see them try to add a bottom six winger or someone like that if they can get a team to retain salary uh you know maybe they'll be able to do a little bit more, but they've traded their first round pick every year since 2019. So I would think that there will probably be some reluctance to do that again. Uh, but you never know. Um, longer term, you know, I think you kind of have already started to maybe see the sort of underpinnings of this roster change. Um, you know, thinking about, the deal that brought in Bo Horvat last year, you know, Anthony Beauvillier probably would have been considered a member of, of the core. Um, and, and he was, you know, sent to Vancouver in that deal. Uh, Josh Bailey, you know, long-term played a thousand games as an Islander. Um, and, you know, he was traded over the summer for salary reasons and then bought out. He's not in the league this year. Um, Cal Clutterbuck and Matt Martin, they're both on the last years of, of their contracts. Um, you know, maybe you see them sign for another year. I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, you saw one or both of them walk away this summer. Um, but, you know, we'll see kind of how that plays out. Um, so I do think that that you're seeing this team kind of shift towards a group that is probably built more around Barzal, Dobson, Horvat, Sorokin than, you know, maybe the guys that it was before. Um, you know, Barzal, Horvath, Sorokin, they're all under contract for the next, uh, I think, seven seasons now. Uh, Dobson is up for an extension this offseason, and you would expect that'll be a pretty hefty, uh, you know, extension and probably the first priority for Lou in the offseason. So, you know, you're seeing kind of smaller shifts there. I don't know if it'll be, you know, a big, you know, letter-esque, okay, we're selling everybody at the deadline type thing. I think they want to stay competitive and, you know, given the kind of level of goaltending they have and the sort of, yeah, I mean, the good, the goaltending specifically, I think it would be pretty hard for them to sort of execute a tank you, even if they wanted to. Hey, you hear people whisper about this and I wonder if, if you think there's any validity to it. Like, does the new arena play into that at all? Or is that just lose MO that, that he is not going to want to go through any kind of a rebuild. He wants to keep trying to retool and go for it. You know, I think it's a little of both. Um, you know, I think that's lose MO regardless of the arena, but you know, from an ownership standpoint, right? Do they want that arena to be filled? Do they want the team in it to, you know, be competitive and, and interesting and worth watching? Yeah, of course. You know, they spent a billion dollars on this on this new building. Everyone had kind of been waiting for it for, you know, 
30 or so years, if you look at kind of the history of them trying to get out of the Coliseum, you know, I don't think that they want to spend their first decade in the new arena, you know, trying to sell a rebuild. Um, so, yeah, I, you know, I think it's both. And it'll be interesting to see, you know, if if and when, you know, Lou eventually retires, which uh, I don't think is going to really be anytime soon. He's, you know, get, getting up there in, in age, but I think he still very much has the desire to keep doing this you know where that goes but that's probably not in the near future well they could quiet a lot of the critics by going on a nice run in these next couple months but the the clock is ticking for them now Uh, this month is going to be crucial not just the deadline stuff that you talk about but just as far as getting themselves back into a a better position in the race so definitely going to be a really interesting team to watch down the stretch and 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 the wah reason is is probably number one on that list right now Oh yeah. Um, I mean, they, they put themselves really far behind the eight ball with, with the, how they played in January, but it was, was just an awful month. And, you know, last year was, was actually pretty similar. They, they had a terrible January and they kind of were, were able to get out of it. But also last year, you know, they got in the playoffs with, I think it was 93 points and, you know, will that number get you in this year? I don't really think so. You know, it, it, doesn't get you in most years. Um, so, you know, you would have to think that they'll need a little bit more. And and right now, you know, they, they would need to string together a pretty nice run to get that. Yeah. Yeah. The East is looking all jumbled. Jersey has Hughes back. Now they've won in a couple in a row. I know they're right there in the standings with the Islanders. So that's certainly a team I'm sure they're keeping their eye on, but there's a lot of teams in that sort of middle mix right now in the East. So it's going to be pretty competitive, I think. All right, Ethan. Well, I appreciate it. I know you've got stuff to do today. I got to run to practice in a little bit, but thank you so much for coming on and uh, I'll see you this weekend. Yeah, of course. Thanks so much, Vince. I'll see you then. Welcome back. And I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Ethan. To me, Again, the Islanders are a really fascinating team with the rest of this season because if they don't get themselves at least into a really competitive position for a playoff spot, if they kind of fall behind some others in the race, then you have to look yourself in the mirror this summer and figure out how do you proceed. But it sounds like that may not be in the card for them with which could have them sort of stuck in this middle ground for the foreseeable future, unless they're able to make a move that really, I think, reshapes the core of this team and gives them a big jolt in that way. It's possible, I suppose. But Ethan kind of touched on some of the little moves that they've made that have sort of set the stage for at least turning over the core a little bit. But they still feel like a team that when you're looking at the true contenders in the Eastern Conference, they are not quite at that level so we'll see how it goes with them and i'm also really interested in the other teams that are participating this weekend i actually spent some time on tuesday since the rangers didn't have practice i wrote a full preview for the stadium series where i did some background research and dove in on all four teams that are going to be playing at metlife stadium this weekend I looked at everything that's happened with those teams so far this season, and all four, at least to varying degrees, are very much in the playoff picture right now. The Flyers are firmly in a playoff position. They're fifth overall in the conference, third in the division. And then you've got the Devils, who have 
kind of been stuck in the mud at times this season. Definitely had some injuries that have hurt them quite a bit. Definitely has some goaltending. That is probably the number one thing for them that has hurt them quite a bit. But there's still a lot of talent there. There's still pretty solid underlying metrics there. You still feel like that could be a dangerous team if they work their way in. And I kind of do feel like they are going to find a way to get themselves back into it. So all four teams are really interesting. The Flyers, I mean, this is a team that everybody felt like was going to be near the bottom of the standings in this division this season. They sent out their own version of a letter just a year ago now where they said this is going to be a process that takes some time where they're going to acquire a lot of prospects and draft picks and future assets. And now here they are and they're humming right up above or around, I should say, a 600 points percentage and just fighting their way to a lot of wins. A lot of guys that you felt like were good players for them a couple of years ago and had dropped off a bit are now having resurgent seasons. I think the stat that I raised my eyebrows on is that they have 14 players who have 15 points or more this season. So they're getting contributions from all over, as you would expect from a John Tortorella coach team, blocking a ton of shots, one of the best penalty kill teams in the league, just playing really, really hard every single night. And so they've become a tough out as well. So I think all four teams, it's going to be a fun weekend. I think all four teams that are participating have Definitely playoff hopes still at this point and a lot of intrigue around them for different reasons, whether it's Wah with the Islanders, whether it's the Flyers arriving ahead of schedule and having that sort of torts effect and really playing a, a solid, hard, all-around game, or the Devils, who you could argue might be the most talented, especially up front when you look at their forward collection of all four teams that are participating this weekend, but they've had issues with their goalie. That's been the biggest Achilles heel for them. You feel like if that team had a really good goalie, that they would be one of on that short list of Stanley Cup contenders probably. But now they're getting a little healthier. They get Jack Hughes back. They've won a couple games in a row, and, and they're right there. I think they're only two or three points out of a playoff spot right now. So the Devils are, are a really interesting team in that regard as well. So going to be a fun weekend. Definitely looking forward to the games, and I'm glad that we had Ethan on to break down the Islanders. And now we will break down your questions from this week, and we're going to shift gears right into it and start with first one from Sonny, who wrote, do you think that with the Cooley-Brodzinski-Kako line being as good as it has been recently, the Rangers' need for a third-line center at the deadline is decreasing? Should they be focusing on upgrading other spots in the lineup instead? And I noticed some version of this question from quite a few people this week. So I definitely wanted to touch on it because listen, I do think that Johnny Brodzinski is playing well enough to make you feel like at least you got to consider whether this guy deserves a spot in the lineup. He definitely, in my mind, deserves a spot on the roster. And I think his versatility because he can play multiple positions, because you know he is the kind of guy who's going to put his head down and work hard and not complain and has been through so much at this point to get to this level and has really earned this spot by being one of the best players in the AHL and coming up in a pinch whenever the Rangers need him and adding some energy and some speed and a little offense and just all around hard work to the Rangers lineup. So I do believe that Brodzinski is making you think a little harder about that. And I also think if you look at the analytics, they paint a pretty good picture of how well he's playing as well. With all that being said, I still firmly, firmly believe the Rangers want to acquire a center that will at least 
give them another option in that spot. You could still keep Brodzinski in the lineup somewhere, whether it's moving him down to the fourth line or moving him to a wing or what have you. But I still think that ultimately they, they very much still would like to get a center. And you also have to consider what if an injury happens? Who's the next center on the depth chart for the Rangers if an injury happens? It might be Jake LeCision. So that's not a road I think you want to go down. So absolutely, I still think they need to get a center. But I do think maybe it's getting to the point where it would be a little bit easier to stomach if you don't get a center who you feel like is a a surefire top six, top nine guy, you know, one of the bigger names out there. And we've talked about this before. There's not really huge names out there right now. But maybe you start to feel like you don't have to pay a premium for at least the guys that are perceived to be the best available guys right now, you could maybe go for a little bit more of an under the radar type of a guy, a guy that we're not talking about as much, a guy who will come a little bit cheaper and at least add some depth, at least add some competition to the mix, but feel like it's not a do or die situation. It's not a situation where if you don't get somebody who is at least perceived to be at a certain level that you're going to be doomed. So Bradzinski has played well enough where the Rangers have won five in a row. That line has been really effective. And you feel somewhat confident plugging his name into the lineup every night. Now, as for the other spots that they should be focusing on, obviously we've talked about right wing. That I think is very much still on the priority list as well. And I saw some other people wrote in here, does maybe right wing become more of a priority, at least as far as talking about guys that are top six caliber. And maybe you could make that argument. Maybe you could make the argument that, yes, they still need to get a center for the depth reasons that we talked about and to add some competition to the mix. But as far as the higher price player or the splashier addition or the guy that you feel like is more of a top six kind of guy, that maybe it makes more sense if you have to pick one or the other for that to be a right winger, just because that right wing spot on the top line continues to be something you don't feel great about. So would it surprise me if it ends up being a bigger name at right wing and more of a depth guy at center at this point because of the way that Brodzinski's playing? No, I, I think that's feasible, but I still think both positions are positions that the Rangers are absolutely aiming to address. I, I don't foresee that changing for really any reason, unless, you know, Brodzinski starts scoring hat tricks every night. So even then, I still think you need one more center because look at this pipeline, look at that Hartford roster. There's not really a lot of guys that you could look at and say, you know what, in a pinch, we could plug that guy in on the third line and we'd be okay. Th- that's not the situation for them. So Brodzinski, give him credit. The dude is playing well right now, but center remains, I think, the primary focus, whether or not that's going to be, you know, a really expensive big name guy or a guy that is a little less of of a name addition, but still an addition that can play for sure in an NHL lineup. All right, let's get to our next question, which comes from Go Gers, who wrote, assuming the Rangers add two forwards at the deadline, who comes out of the lineup? My dream is Goudreau and Wheeler, but given Goody wearing an A, that feels like a pipe dream. Still, if third line continues to ascend, Wheels feels like the odd man out, along with Big Ed, Edstrom, most likely. So this is a good question, and it's one that I've spent some time thinking about. Now, we talked about this in the first segment of the show. Edstrom's going to get a look. 
whether that means three games, five games, 10 games, whatever it might be, the Rangers are going to give him an opportunity to show what he can do. So I think in some ways how he plays in these coming games is going to dictate what his chances are of sticking in the lineup. So answering it for sure on him is a little difficult right now because we still don't know exactly what you're going to get out of him if he gets a little run here. But I I do know for sure the Rangers are intrigued by him. With that being said, if they had to take someone out of the lineup right now, you would think that he would be the guy just because he's the least proven. He's still young and still has options to go back and forth to Hartford and all that type of stuff. So in this very moment, I would say that he would be likely to come out. But that my opinion on that could change in the next, I don't know, week, two weeks, three weeks, whatever it might be. Ultimately, when thinking about this question, if you're saying the Rangers acquire two forwards that are going to be in their lineup, we're assuming one center, one right winger. I think two of these four would be the guys that come out. It would be Edstrom, Brodzinski, Wheeler, and Goudreau. We also talked in the first segment about how you could make an argument if you get clear upgrades that Goudreau, based on the numbers... And whether you're talking about traditional numbers where his point totals are way down this season, I think he still only has one goal this season, or you're talking about the analytics, which don't look good for him right now, you could make an argument based on that, that, you know, this is a guy that you could argue if you get two clear cut upgrades would maybe be a guy you have to consider bumping out of the lineup. Maybe we do get to that point, but my gut tells me, knowing the way that the Rangers think about him, knowing the way that LaViolette values what he brings to the table, knowing what he means to the rest of the guys in the locker room and how well-respected he is, out of those four guys I named, I think Goudreau is probably the safest. He's going to be in a fourth-line role. He's certainly not moving up in the lineup, but I think Because the Rangers want that, they always talk about hard to play against, battle-tested, playoff experience, guys who are going to play that in-your-face brand of hockey that they think they need to play more of to succeed in the playoffs. Goudreau is one of the few guys in the lineup who does that, and I think that they really value that. And so for that reason, I think he's probably the most likely to stay in the lineup. So then it comes down to Edstrom, Brodzinski, and Wheeler. And Edstrom, we'll see how that goes. Brodzinski, we'll see how the next few weeks go for him. Right now, I would put him certainly ahead of Edstrom in the pecking order. I think he's done enough. He's played almost 40 games now for this team and made some valuable contributions that he probably deserves to stay in there. But the other question is, Wheeler, especially if you're talking about acquiring a right winger who would play on that top line with Zabanajad and Kreider, well, that's where Wheeler is right now. And Wheeler's not going to go to the second line and bounce out Lafreniere. You know that for sure. And I don't think there's any kind of a valid argument you could make to play Wheeler over Kako on the third line. The third line has absolutely been better since Kako has been in that spot. Remember, Wheeler played in that spot with Cooley and Brodzinski before Kako, and they weren't nearly as effective as they have been so far. And when you talk about the youth, when you talk about the all-around impact, when you talk about the upside, when you look at the analytics – Kako, for all those reasons, checks boxes that Wheeler doesn't. So if it's a clear-cut right winger that's going to play on the top line, Wheeler's not going to play on your fourth line, and I don't think you can justify bouncing Kako out of the lineup at this point. So it might be a case there where Wheeler is the guy just because of his position, and if you have another guy that comes in that's going to play on the top line that's a clear upgrade over him, where do you put Wheeler would be my question. Now, 
If you don't get that clear-cut top-line right winger, if the guys that you get are more bottom sixy, well, then maybe it's Edstrom and Brodzinski who end up coming out of the lineup and Wheeler stays put. But ultimately, I do think the Rangers would like to get somebody who can play in that spot next to Zibanejad and Kreider, and that might not be a great thing for Wheeler. So it's all going to depend on who exactly they acquire. But basically, my thought right now would be that two of those four Edstrom, Brodzinski, Wheeler, and Goudreau would be the odd men out. Certainly, you're not taking Jimmy Vc out of this lineup. He's been way too valuable for them. You're not taking Will Cooley out of this lineup, that's for sure. He has more than earned his spot, and I can't find any justification. As much as you might want to knock Kako, and this has not been a great year for him, I don't see any justification, especially when you look at the analytics compared to the other guys we're talking about. There's, there's no justification for taking Kako out either. So it would probably have to be two of those four, and and we'll see. Again, a lot of this is going to depend on exactly who they acquire and exactly how those four players perform in the next few weeks. All right, let's get to our final question, which comes from David Shapiro, who wrote, how many hours per week do you normally work? Between practices, travel, games, articles, podcasts, social media, etc., it seems like you have to be on available. Yes, <laughs> that, that's fair. You know, I, I grabbed this question because I actually got an email from a fan a couple days ago who was like, hey, I'd love to hear you talk about your routine on the podcast. And I, I've heard this from other people as well. So some of you might not care. And I apologize now if you do, but it was fresh on my mind because I just got this email a couple days ago. And now I saw this question pop up in the feed today. So maybe if you're interested, if you're not, you could just turn it off. We're almost done with the podcast. But if you're interested, I can dive into this a little bit. And I'll tell you this, that during the season, the hours are, it's a big number. That That's for sure. A game day, let's say they have a 1030 morning skate. And then by the time I'm done writing and everything after the game, it's typically 11. If I'm doing SNY, it could be like 1130. So a game day, you're talking about like a 12, 13 hour workday. So game days are long because I go to the morning skate, you do your interviews. I write my early pregame story. Then I'll usually have a little time in the afternoon. I might work on another story. A lot of times, especially with trade deadline coming, that is what I'm doing. But I'll usually try to sneak to the gym. Uh, my best gym days are probably game days, especially when we're on the road. When I'm on the road and you got the hotel gym and I don't have quite as much going on as far as the family and trying to take my son back and forth to daycare or going grocery shopping, like I'll try to run errands some days. But those road games, I find a little more free time in my afternoons. And that's definitely when I try to go to the gym because in this job and in fatherhood, I found it harder and harder to carve out a little time, although I think I'm getting better at it. So game days are long, that's for sure. And then practice days, I will say it's a little bit lighter because an 11 a.m. practice like we had today, it's now 2.30 in the afternoon. I should be done working by like four o'clock today. So practice days, that ends up being like a five or six hour day. So that is certainly more manageable. Now, the real crux of it, and you got it this here, is that if news happens or if I get a phone call from somebody I've been waiting to hear back from, or if there's something that I want to put a little extra work into because it's a story that I want to have ready for a certain day of the week, well, then that's when your dinners get interrupted or your family time gets interrupted or you find yourself on the computer at 10 o'clock at night. And so 
that certainly adds to the hours. I mean, again, the hours during the season are heavy. And like uh, an example is this week, I have no days off. Tuesday would have been the closest thing I had to a day off because of the snow and because the team wasn't practicing. But I spent about two or three hours on Tuesday writing that story that I mentioned where I previewed the stadium series and did some research into all four teams. So this week I'm working seven days without any day where I'm not doing any work. And that's pretty typical for the season, especially when you factor in traveling. I mean, those can be really long, grueling days as well. Now, I certainly don't want to sound like I'm complaining because I absolutely love this job and I wouldn't trade it for anything. And I fully signed up for it. And a lot of this stuff is a lot of fun for me. I'm, I'm having a great time doing it. So that is certainly an important dis- disclaimer that I should make here. This is, I couldn't see myself doing, I think, a straight nine to five, not to disparage people that do that. And I'm sure if it was a job that I really enjoyed, I would be fine with it. But I like that days are different, that every day brings a little something new to the table, that my schedule is rarely the same. Now, would I like to be home more nights with my family? Yes. Was this job easier to do before I had a kid? Absolutely. So that is where a little bit of the guilt comes in because I feel like I'm missing stuff and I'm constantly asking my wife, who is an absolute saint with all this stuff, which is why I'm glad to take her out for Valentine's Day today to juggle the the little guy and juggle the daycare and her own job. And she has a very demanding job as well that she's really good at. So I hate to feel like I'm ever taking away from her career in that right. But there are challenges that come with it for sure. But again, this is This is a job I've always wanted to do, and I'm incredibly thankful that I now get to do it and execute it and do it exactly the way I wanted to. If I didn't care so much about this job, I could certainly scale back the hours. Like if I didn't want to go the extra mile to to put a little extra into a story that I was writing or write an extra story or do the podcast. I mean, I don't have to do the podcast. The podcast was my idea, but I love doing it. I love being able to talk to you guys in this forum. So That's all kind of my decision. So that shows you that I'm passionate about this job and I enjoy it. And I'll also say that the summertime and the summers can can be really short. There's really only a month and a half, two months where things are really quiet. No draft, no free agency, things like that. But I do get some time in the summer where I'm working much less. So like let's say a typical person works 40 hours a week. During the season, I'm probably working more like 60 to 80 hours a week. But in the summer, when things are scaled back, I'm definitely working less than 40 hours a week. I'm probably working more like 20 hours a week. So you get some of your time back too. I've heard people equate it to being a teacher. I get my summers where I get to play a little more golf, where I get a lot more family time, where I get to go on vacation, where I get to relax a little bit, at least as much as you can relax with a two and a half, three-year-old. <laughs> but uh, during the season, it is go, 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 go. And yeah, I mean, it's it's grueling, it's tiring. The amount of nights that I get eight hours of sleep are rare, but I'm still relatively young, only 36 years old. I'm doing something that I love and, and you are not gonna find a single complaint here. So I hope that maybe gave you guys a little insight. I hope that gave you guys something interesting to chew on, just a little behind the scene glimpse into what my day-to-day life is like during the season. If you have more specific questions, you can always email me or reach out to me somehow. Happy to talk about this stuff, especially I know there are some of you out there who are interested in maybe getting into a field like this. And 
I'll say this, it's something you have to love. It's something you have to really be passionate about to do because it is demanding. And these a lot of times don't end up being the highest paid jobs out there. So take that into consideration. It's a rough business across the board in journalism right now. There are fewer jobs than there have ever been, and it's still very competitive. So getting those jobs and getting those jobs where you're paid a decent wage can be difficult. So I would take that into consideration if you're considering this as a career. But if you love sports, if you love creating content, if you love being right in the middle of the action, it's a pretty cool thing to do. So I'll leave it at that. All right. Well, thanks again to everybody who submitted questions this week. Thanks again to Ethan Sears for coming on the show. Did a great job and really appreciate him talking some Islanders. We haven't really talked to Islanders. The Rangers, can you believe, have not played the Islanders yet this season? Sunday will be their first meeting of the season. So Ethan got us all geared up for that, and I thank him. We will have plenty more coverage looking ahead to the stadium series coming your way in the next few days. We actually have some pictures up on all the websites right now of what it looks like in there, which is pretty cool. If you want to check those out, I've got a few other stories coming your way. I mentioned this conversation that I had with Kako, where we talked about how he's tra- uh, handling the trade rumors right now. So I think you'll be interested to read that one. Had a good conversation with Ryan Lindgren as well the other day as he comes up now on needing a new contract. So got that story in the works. Got a few more things I'm keeping my eye on as far as trade deadlines. So a lot of stuff going on right now. I'll also be back with a new podcast for you guys next week. But right now it's time to unplug for a little while. Enjoy my Valentine's Day. Keep my fingers crossed that no trades break while I'm sitting at a nice dinner with a bottle of wine. That would be nice. So Chris Jury, please. I would appreciate that. But beyond that, I hope you guys are all doing well. I hope you guys enjoy the rest of your week. Certainly enjoy the outdoor games this weekend. And I will talk to you next week.